Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that puts a magnifying glass to the role of cars and transport in our society and ends up burning a hole in it. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have some news stories, including Hyundai develops new air conditioning technologies, and Jaguar Land Rover has a touchscreen you don't have to touch to help fight bacteria and viruses. Alan Zervis gives us a personal reflection on whether he would pay up to $95,000 for a scaled-down Bugatti, which some may see as an ideal Christmas gift for a child. Alan doesn't. And Rob Fraser and I discuss Suzuki, particularly their Bellino, which is going gangbusters in the sales. And in quirky news, Brian Smith and I discuss cheating in virtual reality car racing. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. Our previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City, one word. So to get the program going, let's start with the news. The Hyundai Motor Group has developed new ways to improve the quality of air in vehicles and create a more pleasant cabin environment for customers. They use three new technologies. Afterblow, which dries the condensate on the evaporator and suppresses mould growth in the air conditioning system, which can cause an odour during hot weather. Secondly, multi-air mode, which uses multiple vents for air conditioning and heating, thus creating a more gentle wind. And finally, fine dust indicator, which displays air quality information in real time, so if the level of ultra-fine particles exceeds a set limit, the air cleaning mode will run to purify the air in the vehicle. If the air does not improve in air cleaning mode, it can also serve as a reminder to the driver to replace air conditioning filters or to clean contaminated seats and mats. The technologies will be introduced on upcoming new models. Jaguar Land Rover has patented an information screen you don't have to touch thus reducing the risk of bacteria transfer and helping drivers keep their eyes on the road. Developed with the University of Cambridge, it is called Predictive Touch and uses artificial intelligence and sensors to determine the control you want. Lab tests and on-road trials reveal the time and effort needed to use a touch screen can be reduced by up to 50%. It works because the artificial intelligence can make a quick decision without having to precisely press a part of the screen, which can be made more difficult, especially with vibrations and bumps when the vehicle is on an uneven or poor road surface. A gesture tracker combines with contextual information such as the user profile, interface design, environmental conditions, and data available from other sensors, such as an eye gaze tracker to infer the user's intent in real time. The COVID-19 pandemic has seen overall car sales decline drastically, but some models are doing much better than others. At the bargain end of the spectrum, there are some real winners. In the second smallest category of passenger cars, that's sedans and hatchbacks, Toyota leads the sales with its Yaris, 
but the MG3 is now second, with a growth this year of 76%. But in percentage terms, it is the Suzuki Bellino that has grown the most in this category, selling 167% more sales so far this year. The Bellino starts at a price of 16990 drive away. Suzuki has two models in this category, the Bellino, which is a sedan, and the Swift, which is a hatchback. If you combine the sales, Suzuki is selling the most cars in this category. Toyota, however, is about to release a new Yaris. Amid the gloom and doom of declining car sales and restrictions on travel, some car manufacturers are still bringing out new models of their top-of-the-range supercars. Audi's latest version of its supercar, the R8, is now available in Australia. With a V10 5.2-litre engine, the rear-wheel drive model has 397 kilowatts, and the all-wheel drive version pushes out 449 kilowatts. That's 600 horsepower. It comes in either a hardtop or a convertible. The top-of-the-range coupe goes from 0 to 100 kilometres an hour in just 3.2 seconds. The base model rear-wheel drive costs $295,000. The top-of-the-range convertible Quattro costs $416,500. To all prices add on-road costs. While you can register them for the road, they are well suited for the racetrack. Previous models, for example, have made a strong appearance in Australia's Bathurst 12-hour race. Bugatti is now producing a very modern toy car for the child, or even a reasonably sized adult. It's not the first scaled-down version of their famous racing car, the Type 35, which was first built for the 1924 French Grand Prix. In 1926, Ettore Bugatti decided to build a half-size model as a pedal car for his son Roland on his fourth birthday, as you do. Now they have built a three-quarter size version that even an average adult can fit in. It has all the modern features. It is an electric vehicle with a lithium-ion replacement battery pack, rear-wheel drive, a limited-slip differential, regenerative braking, LED headlights, a quick-release steering wheel, adjustable pedals, and even adjustable suspension dampers. The base model of this toy is $48,800 Australian, the mid-spec Vitesse is $70,700, and the top-spec Per Sang is a snip over $95,000. Only 500 will be made. And that has been the news. Back in the early 50s, Prince Charles was given a toy pedal car in the shape of an Austin J40, a working-class car, in fact, that might encourage the future king, in part, to be of the people, cute without being pretentious. In the 60s, Aston Martin made a pedal car for royalty. It was modelled on the DB5 with most of the features of James Bond's vehicle of the same make. It had machine guns, smoke screens and rotating number plates, although I don't think it had an ejector seat. It could create an inflated image of importance in a young royal. It was given to Prince Andrew. Bugatti is now producing a very modern car for the child that has everything. To talk about that, I have on the line our good friend Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys. Alan, did you have a pedal car as a child? I did not, David. We couldn't afford air to breathe. 
Now, Bugatti, way back in the 20s, they made a little scaled-down model for Bugatti, Toro's Bugatti's son, of their famous uh, 35, Type 35 Bugatti. Now they're making another one, only this one is a little bit more upmarket, or should I say modern, with certain modern features. Are you impressed with its technology? Well, I guess so. For a kid that has everything, I don't see much point really in a 1.4 kilowatt battery pack pedal car, but you know, or not even a pedal car, but kids' car. Well, it's not only for kids, is it? Because it's now, what is it, two-thirds scale? We published the story that came out of Bugatti earlier in the week, and uh, it's got a, a, a an elder gent driving it, so it's big enough for an elder gent. Hmm. And you can, of course, being Bugatti, get the uh, base model, but also some hot ones as well. I love the fact that it's got batteries and you can take the battery out and replace it but it's even got regenerative braking that's pretty modern well that's uh, what you'd expect from bugatti i suppose for the price ah price is interesting isn't it i've converted them into australian dollars the base model forty-eight thousand eight hundred. god isn't that just ridiculous i've got the model here in uh, the prices here in euros for anyone that's interested thirty thousand euros forty-three thousand euros for the vitesse and the per sang, 58,500 euros. What Did you convert that into Aussie dollars? Yep, $95,000.78. The middle one's about $70,000.700. Quite a bit to pay for well, what is really a toy car. I think I'd rather get myself a, a uh, Toyota Supra for the same money. Yeah, get a real car. Get a real car. Now, they're only going to make 500 of them. Well, I'd suggest that it'll be so valuable that the kids won't actually be allowed to play with it. What if you scratched it? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, scratching any Bugatti, you're in for a whole shed load of money, I would think. I don't think this will be any different. <laughs> Not exactly one to take off the, off the bitumen, really, is it? No. Well, I can't see it getting off a driveway. You have uh, little cousins and that. You're not tempted to feel that you could extend yourself for a Christmas present? I think if I had... A hundred odd grand to spend on that top model. This is probably the last thing I would buy them <laughs> for several reasons, not the least being, and I think you raised a good point about uh, making a posh prince feel even posher. I think the last thing those kids need to be is made to feel any more important and entitled than they already are. Yes, it does make you very much stand out, not for who you are, but for what you've been given. It's a beautiful looking little car, isn't it? Absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. But it weighs 230 kilos. That's a lot of weight for a kid's pedal car. Not one that you could easily move around, is it? Or lift into place or put in you know, a high spot in the garage or something. French racing blue with that little pointy tail at the end. Ah, oh, It's a glorious car. I love the look of it, but I think I'll just enjoy it with pictures. Well, I think I'll be enjoying it with pictures too. The red one, of course, uh, is my favourite. You could respray it. You could. That could bring the ire of other Bucati owners. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, David. Take care. And that's Alan Service from Gay Car Boys. We were talking about Bugatti's new toy car of sorts, valued to up to $95,000.
This is Overdrive across Australia. Hey, David, tell us, you've been driving something a little bit different, a little bit smaller this week. Yes, thank you, Rob, uh, Mr. Fraser. Driving Suzuki, the Bellina. Now, that slots into the second smallest passenger car category in Australia, which is, uh, like all passenger car categories, is struggling. Do you know the Suzuki Motor Corporation was founded in 1909? Really? And it came to Australia in 1980 and the Bellino in 2016. Now, it has had an interesting image and place in the market, isn't it? How good was their little four-wheel drives? Uh, the little Suzuki Vitara and the Jimneys. I, I owned two Vitaras in my time. and They were awesome. And the Jimny, you could go almost anywhere in that thing. That's the point about them, isn't it? They might look cute, but they perhaps... Uh, more light and nimble than some of the bigger four-wheel drives. Absolutely, and the ability to be able to modify them to get unbelievable ground clearance and wheel articulation, they were were a fantastic little four-wheel drive. You know, the, the new Vitara has morphed into more of a urban-type runaround, but the new Jimny is actually not too bad off-road. The new Jimny continues that trend of being square, boxy, rugged and competent. Great off-road. Not so good around the inner city streets. It's a little bit... There are better vehicles to drive around town in. The Bellino is booming in the market, as we did a news story on. That part of the market, the Yaris is still number one, but the MG3 is number two. Does that surprise you? Yeah, it's a, it's a complete market transformation, isn't it? The Bellino is in there. And by the way, in that category, if you have the Suzuki Bellino, they also have the Swift in that category. One's a sedan, one's really a hatchback. If you put those two together, they'd actually be, at the moment, number one in that category. And really selling on price. So, so David, tell us the price, David, tell us the price. <laughs> those who remember a very old carpet ad will know that. And it's the key point. It's $16,990 drive away. Now, that's for the manual. You add bits as you go up. Let's go through it. Outside look is traditional. I mean, typical of the market. Not over the top. The biggest indicator that Suzuki is the big Suzuki S badge at the front. Smooth down the side. About the same dimensions. Almost exactly the same as the Yaris. Except that the Suzuki is a bit lower. It's about 40 millimetres lower. So I think it has somewhat of a traditional but slightly sleeker look. From the profile, it's got a longer sort of look, the Aris. I like the look of the Aris, but it's a bit boxy. But the, the Bellino actually has that, it, somehow they've managed to have a bit of a long, low, sleek look, which I don't mind. Interior is, well, let's just say simple. Yes. A uh, very small screen, simple dials at the front. Quite roomy, yeah, reasonable room, although I found it hard to get a good driving position. Quite comfortable. With a boot size, 300 and something or other, litres of space which is of course not big enough to smuggle someone into Brisbane in but, <laughs> but typical of, of the time. I think one thing I've noticed that the very top of the range actually has a uh, not only a height but a reach adjustable steering wheel which in a Bellino is the reverse for me you're actually looking to push it away from you as far as possible rather than bring it towards you. The travel in the front seat is, is enormous and you can get great leg room I had the base model without the telescopic 
steering wheel, I was driving very straight-armed. In fact, I found it a little hard to be comfortable. I don't want to be cramped up against the steering wheel, but just a little bit of bending in the arm. The same applies, I think, with some of their other ones as well. If you get the base models and don't get the telescopic steering wheel, I think you lack that variability to be, well, for me, to be totally comfortable. But you can't have everything for $18,000. Engine. The top of the range GLX, they used to have one of those little three-cylinder, one-litre turbo. That was their more performance engine, and the base model was just a straight 1.4-litre, normally aspirated engine. I don't like those three-cylinders. Oh, the Ford one's not bad. Well, the fuel consumption's not necessarily much better, because you've got to wring its neck a bit to get it to work. Driving a Nissan Juke this week with the three-cylinder turbo petrol, and you have to actually push it. When you do, it's not too bad, but that and the dual-clutch transmission, it can be very jerky. So while I do like some of those little three-cylinders, you're right, you've got to sort of wring the neck a little bit to get a bit of performance out of them, and and then you, you're, you're losing a lot of the benefit. They are zippy at times, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, 5.1 litres per 100 kilometres or for the automatic 5.4 litres. That's a, a big point of differentiation to the MG, which is up around the 6.5. So I think there's a little bit of more long-term solid development in the Suzuki, even though perhaps at the moment they're struggling a bit to get uh, well they're about to get a couple of new models out and i think those uh, it's about time for them to step but particularly i mean this bellino has really been around since 2016 driving i uh, fairly light on the steering yes easy to maneuver around there my wife drove it and she found it just a little bit a little bit mushy, perhaps, might be the word. No, that's a bit over the top, but, you know, very light steering. It felt almost like uh, an electric steering, although it is rack and pinion. It's around the city, and room and comfort is uh, pretty good overall. It's not one I would take on a long trip, but that's more to do with my seating, getting the seating right. Perhaps the top-of-the-range GLX would improve things for me greatly. The top-of-the-range definitely has a little bit uh, more bling and that extendable steering wheel. But if you if you think about what the market, the target market is, and you and I are not the target markets, mm. it's it's almost it's a first car vehicle. You know, it's for that younger, not to be um, you know misogynistic in any way, younger female driver. It's got enough of the features, like it's got the Apple CarPlay. It's got a, enough of the safety features, although it doesn't have a five star rating, hasn't been rated, but it's still got you know, enough of the safety features that you expect. It's got the reverse camera, which is essential on any car, I believe. Now it looks good. It's enough room for one or two people, and it, you know it's it's incredibly economical and it's value you know for money. So what you don't get with the safety, of course, is all the electronics of uh, lane departure warning, automatic emergency braking that'll stop it getting five stars. Yes, it does have, of course. Uh, stability control ABS as, as, as you would expect. Daylight running lights I think is nice, a little feature and it does have a navigation system and a, as you say a reversing camera, Apple CarPlay Android Auto and Bluetooth connectivity I I think that's not bad if you go up to the GLX you can only get that in an automatic uh, it's got digital climate control, keyless start 
Mine just had a key and it didn't even have a little button that you could touch on the handle to open the door and a little bit more advanced or bigger wheels and so on. You're not talking about the leading parts of development in the car, but you are talking about a practical and obviously well-priced runabout. Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. And that was Rob Fraser from the Any Auto and Oz Roma websites. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are for the final segment of the program on Overdrive. Once again, we're joined by Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. Hey, David. Audi has had dropped their driver, Daniel Apt, in an all-electric racing series, Formula E, after he had a pro-sim driver surreptitiously race for him during a virtual competition over the weekend. He has also been told to pay €10,000 to charity as a result. Now, Brian, the competition for car racing has moved to virtual reality. To some extent, that's been at least given people an opportunity to see fresh racing. Do you think that there's a possibility for fraud, an increased possibility for fraud? Gosh, it's absolutely clear that there must be. And it's interesting that that a live racer would need to have somebody else on the shoulder to race for them in the virtual environment. It must be quite different. And I think plenty of people who've driven race cars in the real world and on uh, in virtual sort of simulations would agree that the, there's a different set of skills required there. So... I would have thought it'd be pretty easy to um, to film yourself just fanging about the place and then just play that while somebody is actually racing the car for you. It's a terrible thing because I think they both got into trouble. So uh, the fellow who uh, raced on Ab's behalf, 18-year-old Lorenz Herzing, he had been competing in the sim racing section of Formula E's events anyway. He was also dropped, so he's been suspended from the sim racing series as a result, so they're both out. But yes, I I guess, David, I'm only surprised that he wasn't from Ferrari. In terms of cheating, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. The interesting thing is whether you could use technology to measure almost the signature of a driver, how they drive, and that if that was different... As we're seeing in cars now that will measure, if you're getting tired, for example, you measure a little differently. Or, as Hyundai's doing, they set up a cruise control which has learnt the way you drive. And given if it's legal and, and sensible, then they will mimic that. So maybe we need to bring into these virtual technology racing systems a way of measuring the minutiae of the way you drive a car and that almost becomes your signature so a digital fingerprint kind of yeah. for, your, for your driving i wondered also whether you could maybe train an ai to race and, uh, and not even have a human involved at all yes so you could sit there and basically uh, have the ai driving for you but i wonder too about how your connection would affect your efficiency on the track and your your performance i i wonder whether you might see you know some of the europeans with very good fiber sort of internet flanging around and then the australian driver kind of 
rubber banding all around the track as, uh, as their NBN falls in a Internet down, yes. <laughs> it's like a pit stop. You've got to allow for the fact that something will all come to a halt. You might need a real pit stop, David, where you pause for a moment, run outside and em- empty the water out of the ditch in, the, in your front yard that represents <laughs> your NBN box. <laughs> Yes. Get the muddy water out so that I can get a bit more speed in this lap. <laughs> uh, very good. <laughs> Who would you get to take it? Because the reality is that nuclear wars of the future will probably be fought by young people who have incredibly quick reflexes. I wondered why he chose an 18-year-old when he could have probably got a 9-year-old and... <laughs> even faster. The only signature I was thinking of, we have a grandson, he could probably do it, but he's three. The only thing is there might be a toilet stop halfway in the middle, you know. (laughs) He might have to sit on a phone book on the (laughs) the sort of uh, the the chair at the desk. I mean, they all look young, don't they? I imagine Abt is a is a you know smooth-faced young man, so maybe um, you could just uh, wear a mask or... uh, I believe the the person doing it just had their cap pulled down or something like that, obscuring themselves a little bit. Of course, they tried to laugh it off as a joke. Ab said he thought it would be a funny move if a sim racer drove for him. He wanted to document it and create a funny story for the fans with it. It's pretty funny now, isn't it, Ab? Very, very funny. 10,000 euros later, yeah. Hmm. But you're right. Perhaps he wore a mask. Goggles. Goggles. Fireproof suit. What you say is, I wanted to be authentic, so I had a full face helmet on. Yes, dressing up for it. Yes. Yeah. Because you want to suspend disbelief. You want to be absorbed into the process. So, you know, you could have sort of stuff thrown at you and bugs hurled at your face and a fan glowing, that sort of stuff to give you the, the real effect. And then when you're finished, you could go and buy some very expensive, uh, overpriced merchandise, I suppose. We did a little while ago a story about Ron Turanek, who was, of course, the great mate of Sir Jack Brabham. Sir Jack Brabham used to be the sort of person who wasn't afraid just to cut a corner if it meant throwing up a few stones that made it... Oh, Oh, by the way, talking about uh, virtual reality, I believe there's going to be a major race at the Indianapolis Speedway. Not virtual reality, self-driving cars, I should say. Oh, self-driving, self-driving cars, AI cars. So technology is taking over in many ways. Brian, as always, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. That's Brian Smith. We were talking about cheating in the virtual world of motor racing and other stories as well here on Overdrive. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Rob Fraser, Alan Zervis, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.